Welcome to episode 32 of the bonus series of the Geared for Growth Property Investing podcast, where we talk to the experts and get them to share their top tips on how to achieve exceptional results in property investing. We believe there's always something more to learn and who better to learn from than the people who are in the game. I'm your host, Mike Mortlock, and I'm excited to be sharing this time with you. And if you love the podcast, click on the subscribe button so you don't miss another episode. Navigating the residential property market can be a minefield at the best of times, and it can lead to costly mistakes if you don't have good advice and some inside knowledge. But with the market moving as quickly as it has in recent times, and constant media commentary around interest rates and market corrections, there's never been a better time to call in the experts. Today I'm joined by seasoned property professionals and co-founders of Spring Buyers Agency, Michelle Tucker and Linda Johnson. Together they have over 40 years of experience in the industry and are committed to providing the best advice and guidance to their clients in their property search. Today we're talking about the value of a buyer's agent and what they can bring to the table and what it really means to buy off market. Welcome Linda and Michelle. Linda and Michelle, thanks for joining me on Geared for Growth. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, thanks for having us. Thank you. We, Pleasure to be here. It's been long overdue. We've been talking about this for some time and it's nice to have the both of you. This is sort of somewhat unusual. I think it's going to work because you guys kind of tend to finish each other's sentences at the best of times anyway. Um, <laughs> so you're from Spring Buyers Agency and Spring Property Management as well. So I wanted to kind of corner you and talk to you about, you know, the value that a buyer's agent brings to, to the transaction and a few other other different questions, but especially a focus on off-market properties. Now, off-markets are one of those things that there's a real beat up around them. It's like, you know, work with us because we get all the off-markets. But then sometimes they're off-market for reasons that don't necessarily make them good purchases as investments or, or even owner-op properties. What do you think the state of off-markets is? And, and is the marketing around it sometimes a little bit misleading or is it actually kind of a golden ticket? We couldn't agree with you more, Mike. Um, first of all, I think if we rewind a little bit and I guess provide the definition of what, an off-market. What is an off-market? Yeah, yeah. There's several uh, definitions yeah. for that. Yeah, so a lot of people talk about off-markets and they're not really because they're still splashed all over social media and they're still out there to the public. So typically those sorts of properties are what we would call a pre-market. So they're eventually going to come to market, but the agents are launching them on their social and and so forth first to get a bit of a taste, a bit of a feel for the market. And then eventually with the goal, if they don't secure a purchaser within the early days, they'll go to market. Our definition of an off-market is one that a buyer, a general buyer would never, ever know about unless they were another professional to professionals. So um, these are the properties or the opportunities rather that we uncover from our relationships and our conversations with selling agents. So quite often they're sparked by a light bulb moment. They're sparked by a recent conversation. You know, we could have spoken to that agent last week, but this week in one of our conversations, you know, an opportunity presents itself. So that is a definition of a true off-market because it was never, ever going to go to market. It's literally brought about by circumstance and conversation and having, I guess, a purchaser and a vendor there at the right time and putting them together. Sometimes the agents, you know, having been selling agents ourselves for many years, you carry a lot of 
past market appraisals and things in your mind that are not necessarily coming to market at this point, but they sit there and it just sparks a conversation or something to the agent that reminds him of that property or or her of that property. And it's like, I got it. I know it. Let me call them up. So that's how these opportunities, we had one yesterday, that's how these things come about. And then it's about, you know, manufacturing a deal that suits everybody. Yeah. I'm I'm going to try and come up with like a clunky metaphor here. I'm going to sell (laughs) my car at some point and I could put it on car sales or I could... I could do a deal or trade in and almost certainly make less money, but it's kind of a pain in the backside, right? Is that some of the motivation between doing an off market or, you know, are these celebrities that don't want people coming through their house? Are they just kind of thinking, I don't want to have to deal with open homes or, you know, agents coming in and out? What's the main motivation for selling off market? There's several really. Um, It can be that. It can be I really just don't want to deal with anyone coming through my house. So I'm going to mention it to my agent that I would sell if he's got someone and and hope for the best. There's situations where the vendor has purchased and they don't really have time to prepare the home for a marketing campaign. So they might mention it to their agent, look, I'd sell. There's some situations where, you know, there might be a personal circumstance going on, a divorce, a death, something that is just too much for them to go to market. Gosh, what else? There's so many scenarios that, and you know, some, some off markets go to market wanting a dream price. And that's, this is another whole scenario that we have to work through. You don't want to, we don't want our buyers paying overs for a property just because it's, Something that no one else can see and it's special. You've still got to establish what's it worth in the current market. Um, So some vendors want huge prices to go off market. Some are willing to take less just to make a transaction work. They might have bought something elsewhere. They're happy to take a little bit of a, a hit on their property if it gets them where they need to go and the numbers work. Yeah. So if I sort of look back at the off markets that, and, you know, 40% of our business or just under 39% to be exact of our business is transacted off market. Love that data, by the way. Sorry. I love love that that data, data? by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we got loads of that stuff. (laughs) So if I look back to many of those transactions, they were brought about through circumstances that just married up and it was mainly to do with timing you know, trying to, you know, make a, 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 you know, manufacture a deal that worked for both parties that worked for both of their timelines. We had another one, you know, a baby was on its way. So as we all know, they don't wait. So there was, you know, a time, again, time factor there. So most of the off-market deals that we have transacted have been about the opportunity. It's, you know, and the, the price was still fair market value or below, um, you know, we, we don't typically entertain the, oh, yeah, if I can get three million for my house and it's worth one and a half. Yeah. I mean, that's just it's wasting everybody's time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't like setting records. No, that's <laughs> listing agent's job, yeah, not ours. <laughs> I had a conversation about that very thing uh, yesterday, actually. A buyer's agent saying, you know, suburb record, you're like, Oh, no. oh, that's not, that's not, you're supposed to be doing the record of the cheapest sale in that particular right. summer. That's for agents to say, selling agents. Yeah. It was interesting that you sort of talk about 
you know, off market doesn't necessarily mean cheap. There's people that go off market that are wanting over over what's reasonable. And, you know, at fair market value, that might be okay to purchase off market. But if you're reducing the competition, a lot of properties are, are selling above fair market value because there's a lot of urgency in the marketplace. Now, when people were telling me that they were doing 39% of, of their transactions off market, or I even spoke to a person in Brisbane that I think was like about 80%, I thought, how is that possible in the market such as it is at the moment. It's so hot, you put it online. Now, maybe it's coming off a little bit, but for the last sort of six or 12 months, it's, it sort of seems silly to, to not open up the pool. So th- there's still off markets in these hot markets, you're saying? Mm, there are. And, you know, to be fair, some of those statistics did were taking into account our lockdown period. And we did notice a spike in our off-market transactions um, through lockdown because people just weren't going to the market. Yeah. The inspections were difficult. So we did get a bit of a spike, but on an average, you know, that that's what happened last year. But, yeah, bearing in mind there was that period of time. But, again, it's, it's back to circumstantial. And COVID did bring about a lot of you know, habitual change, there's still many people out there that are quite concerned and and afraid and don't want lots of people coming through their home. They want to maintain their privacy for whatever reason. People are working from home. So that also, you know, they're inconvenienced if they go to market and they have to prepare the home. There's just so many reasons um, and not everybody, it doesn't suit everybody to go to the open market. Mm. You know, it's definitely, we've seen far more flexibility. I wanted to ask you this question. There's a lot of people that will say, you know, I can't afford a buyer's agent or, or I, what's probably a better way of putting it if they're purchasing investment properties, I don't see the value, right? Now, if we're talking specifically about off markets, what is the value? Is it the relationships that you have with the agents and then your ability to secure that property at a, at a reasonable price? Is, is, that what, is that the value proposition that you guys have for off markets? Definitely. I think it comes back to the value of a buyer's agent in many ways is understanding the true value of a property. Now that takes many, many years. If you look at the central coast, for example, it's such a widespread and we have this said to us all the time, there can be buyers in the market for a year, two years. They still can't wrap their head around the central coast. There's properties that'll sell for this and properties that'll sell for that. And they just can't work out why. So our value is A, understanding what a particular property is worth. And the way to do that is to understand intimately the area, what is selling around it, how much is it selling for. Then the second step is understanding, okay, if that's that much, what else can I get for my money elsewhere that may be a better location or a better property? Mm. So it's twofold. There's so much to understand. We believe that is our value because it, it uncovers opportunity. It helps buyers um, identify the best property in the best location they become paralyzed by not understanding therefore they can't make decisions Mm. and if they do it's a silly decision and they overpay and get blinded you know they make all the typical mistakes a buyer will make and the deal itself may not be in their best interests after all but i think the the fundamental as michelle just said is it always remains Um, in relation to our value, but also as market conditions change, other parts of what we do represent value. So we're in a transitioning market at the moment. Mm. So, you know, in the lead up to Christmas, in addition to intimately understanding the area and the nuances of, I mean, we can have four or five demographics in one suburb. So it's understanding that always, 
But on top of that, you know, in the lead up to Christmas, there was such a shortage of stock and buyers coming into the area were missing out. So a lot of our value was about accessing, jumping the queue and all of those things. But now we're going into a transitioning market what where you know where our value lies is going to I guess change with the market conditions. Yes. Um, so likewise with the selling agents, their role is also going to change. So I think you know Michelle and I have been doing this for such a long time, and we have seen fluctuating markets and experienced the different ways you need to negotiate to match the market conditions. Mm. We're seeing that start to happen now. So and vendors' expectations um, at the moment. It's, it, it's in a transitioning market. Mm-hmm. So the agents are struggling a little bit with this as well. So it's up to us to also help our buyers identify, is this vendor expecting too much yeah. in this market? Are they a couple of months behind perhaps where, you know, you might mm-hmm. may have got that last year, but this year it's a different story and we're not there. So that's our value. We believe it's our experience and our knowledge of the area that is key. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. All right, so here's a thought experiment. I, I don't see the value in hiring a buyer's agent. Right. Um, this just feels wrong to say. Every podcast I do is like, go and get a buyer's agent. They do so many transactions. You do it like <laughs> three or four times in in your life and they'll do it like eight times on a weekend. But let's go with it. You guys are in the central coast of, of New South Wales. Let's say I swan, swan in there. I buy a few agents' coffees and lunch. I go to a few open homes. They start sort of seeing me around. I chat to them and say, this is what I'm doing. Let me know what's coming up. Can I reasonably hope with a bit of effort on the ground to gain the sort of relationships that you guys would have as, as pros in the space, talking to them every day? Great question. Mm-hmm. It's a great question. The answer to that is maybe, but yeah. probably not. The reason being is agents, particularly with two off markets, they're quite sensitive about that information. They're not going to share it with anyone. And they've met Mike Mortlock and he seems like a great guy. (laughs) But if I tell Mike (laughs) about an off market that I've got coming that I'm, you know, may not necessarily be ready to share with the world, is Mike going to tell Tom and Jack and Bob down the road? And then what happens from there? The relationships and where we find the key deals and where we find a lot of the deals we do are in the relationships that we've had for 10, 15, 20 years. Sometimes we're on the phone to those agents a few times a week and sometimes Mm -hmm. they're for a good 20 minutes, half an hour. They give us that time because A, they they know us. B, they know our buyers are ready to buy, whereas Mike might say he is, but is he really? If I take him through my off market, is he going to be able to buy that property or is he just thinks yeah. he can. So there's that side as well. So we find that's that's where our value is. It's the longevity and the trust that we have in those relationships. It's also the dynamic of the relationship. At the end of the day, they are still the selling agent working for the vendor and you're still the buyer. Yes. You're on the there's a conflict yeah. there still. So no matter what, even though they may want to help you and they do, that you know, selling agents do everything they can to help their buyers, but at the end of the day, they're working for their vendor and they're being paid by their vendor. And yeah. they should. They're legally yeah. obliged to work for their vendor. Exactly. Yeah. But I suppose you guys are in the industry and, and there's a buffer between the vendor 
and the seller on kind of both sides, but you come into the right. middle and go, like, we all know what's going on here. It's not going to mm-hmm. sell for that, blah, blah, blah. An interesting point that you raise, Michelle, like, because if I come in there, I'm in there for one transaction and I disappear. So my my kind of reputation is untested, right? I can come in, set everything on fire, get what I want, disappear. Whereas if you do that, you'll never get that access again, right? So if you go and tell them about a listing that's coming up, they'll be like, I'm not ever mentioning that to Michelle again because look what happened last time. I'd I'd never really kind of thought about that. And we've heard of um, situations from agents where that's happened. We are known with our agent contacts as a vault. We would never, ever jeopardise. We've been asked by clients to do things that our clients that that would jeopardise relationships with our agents and we just won't do it. Mm. That is the long-term vision of our to be able to trust us. And having that long-standing relationship with them for many, many years, both as selling agents and as buyers agents now, that trust is is earned, right? Yeah. It's not just given. Yeah. And speaking of trust, and I'm going to go back the negative way, the buyer's agents that say, you know, sign up with me because I can get you cheap properties off market, as a marketing pitch. I mean, occasionally you see people come out, that's, that's either their whole kind of shtick or it's part of what they do i mean is that true or is that a bit of bs no it's a bit of it's a bit of bs (laughs) most in our experience look in the rare occasion the rare rare occasion there might be a property particularly in a seller's market right now let's face it if something's cheap there's a reason it's cheap Mm. you get what you pay for there could be a rare exception to the rule but generally if it's cheap it's cheap for a reason. Yeah. I want to ask you about the different types of buyer's agents. So typically you've got sort of three types in my head. You've got owner ox, you've got investor specialists, and you've got kind of the hybrids. To me, it would kind of make sense to be in both camps because sometimes, you know, investors come off the boil. uh, So it's good to be able to transition from one to another. But uh, there's also specialists in both camps, right? Because I assume there's a specialist skill set, right? Because if you're looking at an owner-occupier, they're probably less concerned about the performance of the property than they are as to where their kids are going to play or will my drum kit fit in this room? It's based on a true story. I'm making it about myself. <laughs> um, uh, but when it comes to investing, it's kind of like, you know, here's the numbers of the property and here's the photo afterwards, right? Because it's a, it's a different sort of prospect. Where do you kind of see buyers age? And can hybrids do the job well or do you need to specialise in one or the other? Well, we actually specialise in both. Right. Um, and I think, sorry, there's a few different ways to answer this question, I guess. So um, We made a conscious decision we to did. do that. Though. We made a very conscious decision to be across all different types of markets because obviously having have done this for a long time, markets fluctuate. So um, if you put all your eggs in one basket, you'll have problems down the track. So mm. um, it was always part of our long-term strategy to ensure that we have the capabilities for all markets. In relation to investor products versus owner-occupier, you're 100% correct. It's two separate skill sets. You've really got to understand intimately the numbers. And, and what I mean by that, you there's so many different metrics you need to understand first and foremost, but also you've got to know where to look, when to look, how to look. Um, and you've got to, you know, be able to understand the nuances of each of the places that you do look 
as well. So yeah, there's really key, I guess, a key understanding, there's key skills that you've got to And recognising what the what the investor's actually trying Correct. to achieve, you know. It depends what the overall strategy is yeah. because yeah. there's different reasons for different investments. So it's understanding what their overall goal is, what they're trying to achieve, what kind of mix of investments they want. Um, so yeah, so and usually too, it involves a team. So most of the investors we work with have a financial planner, they have an accountant. So there's a team of people that we all work in together with. Yeah. So and we've all got our key area of uh, you know of expertise. I think what's helped too is the experience that we've had in different sectors. So mm. Linda and I have not just been in residential real estate in the past. Mm. Linda's um, obviously had a lot of experience in business brokerage. I was in projects and development for a long time. So we worked with investors pretty mm-hmm. much all the time. And that's that gave me the skills to recognise the growth corridors, how to find those growth corridors, how to look for them, mm-hmm. what to look for. So there's, a, there's been a, a fair bit of experience that's helped us do this and be able to help the investors as well as owner-occupiers. Mm. As well as education. I guess we shouldn't forget that should be. No, of course. It's <laughs> yeah. a big part um, of it. You know, education plays a big part in it. Um, you don't just wing it. You've you've obviously got to learn it as well. So. Yeah. Uh, I want to go to – I want to get – say three tips from you for for people that are wanting to engage with the buyer's agent and have a good relationship with them and and maybe this question could sort of work into it i've always kind of thought like let's say i sign up with you or let's let's say i've I, i sign up with a solicitor to do a job for me you're sort of obliged to do a good job and you ought to do a good job but there's also kind of ways to sort of motivate your specialist to to go over and above for you there are ways that i see people kind of annoying their buyers agents and getting in the way i.e i hear about them changing their kind of search parameters right like it's like the big one is have you seen this on realestate.com and you're like yeah we see everything even the stuff that isn't on realestate.com and we discounted that because you said there's no way we're not we're buying a three-bedroom house and it was a 2.5 so you know with all due respect go away and let us do our job is is that a big part of what you do and is that something that investors like even though they're kind of saying, well, I'm paying you X amount of money. I should be able to do whatever. Like, are there times that investors can hinder themselves? Look, Linda's <laughs> just smiling. You don't want to answer this one, do you? Look, in the <laughs> outsetting, we do face those challenges, yeah. Mike. You're 100% correct, but there's challenges in everything that you do when you engage a specialist. A lot of them are... Um, dealt with upfront because mm. our expectation and our service and how we operate is is very much spelt out from the beginning. How we communicate, in that we go as far as in the early days, guys. We're happy for you to send through the listings that you know are attractive to you online. But be assured, if it's online, we've seen it. Yeah, yeah, we've seen it, and we mightn't see it the minute it hits realestate.com, but we will see it within a couple of hours because sometimes the minute it hits, it's through in five minutes, and we're like, hang on, guys, yeah. <laughs> we're not sitting on realestate.com every second of every day, <laughs> but we see it. So, but we invite people to send those through in the early days because it lets us know what they're attracted to, yeah. which is important. Yeah. So we work with them, um, and but- it's, a, it's a journey. Yeah, I guess what I was sort of quite initially, I was having a having a think because we haven't really, as Michelle rightly said, it's all about setting the expectations from the get-go. And we have a really thorough briefing sessions with each and every client and all parties who are purchasing. So we make all of these sort of guidelines and steps very, very clear from the beginning. So 
I don't know, it just doesn't really tend to happen. Or if it does, it's just that initial sort of building trust process where, and that sort of fear of missing out where they might've been glued to realestate.com for the last 12 months and they're learning how to let they it go. to detach. <laughs> yeah. Some people, the weight comes off their shoulders and they go, does this mean we don't have to look at realestate.com anymore? Yeah. We're like, yes. Yeah. They're like, great. Yeah. Others are like still onto it. But it yeah. is, we always um, make it very clear with our clients too that it's a team effort. Yeah. We never, ever want them to feel disengaged or left behind on the journey Yeah, because it's their journey. We're there to give them all the information to help them make a decision. That's our job. It's not to make the decision for them. Yeah. It's to arm them with every bit of experience and knowledge we have and advice so that they can make the best decision for them. Yeah, that's good. That's a good answer. Uh, let's let's finish up with with a couple of tips. Whatever you like, you can you can go specific to that particular one. But but you know perhaps around the the value that you bring. You know especially for the people that are kind of thinking you know like I don't see the value or I can't afford a buyer's agent. What what would be the the couple of points that you would you would recommend them consider? Uh, look, funnily enough, this came up the other day. We had uh, a potential client who wanted to work with us, and their um, solicitor. Um, happened to, I don't know, throw a few questions out that, you know, made them think again, do we actually need a buyer's agent? And this particular professional, you know, threw questions out like, well, you can do this yourself or, you know, why would you pay someone when you can can do it yourself? So I guess our tip is, yeah, absolutely, you can do it yourself. But before you do, ask yourself the questions. How many times have you done it in your life? You know, do you know that you're going to be able to negotiate the best possible price? How strong do you know are your relationships? The, how strong are your relationships yeah. with the agents in the area? How well do you know the area? You know, do you know the street? Do you know the neighbourhood? You know, how do you get access to properties that, you know, if you live in Sydney or somewhere else, another state, how do you get access to properties that are not going to sell in the first week do you have um, a strategy for negotiation do you know how to negotiate have you ever negotiated so it's all of these questions that one mm. needs to ask themselves given that you might do it a handful of times or once in your lifetime and then I guess based on those answers then it's about reaching out um, if you decide which most of our buyers do our clients do that um, you know what we do need help in one way or another some things we know and know well and other things we don't so I think it's important um, then to reach out and get advice from more than one because it's about, yes, the experience of the buyer's agent, how well they know the market, but it's equally about the relationship you have with your client. Um, can you work with that person? Do you trust them? Can you see yourself trusting them? So um, I think though before you even get started, those are really some key things that you need to ask yourself and, and research. I think the value, just back to what is the value of a, of a buyer's agent and can we afford one, I think it's important to note that nine times out of ten we are buying under budget. Mm -hmm. Even in the market the way it's been for the last 12 to 18 months, the way we do that is not buy cheap property. Mm -hmm. We buy good property at a great price. We never set records. But <laughs> where our value is, and you can, we don't. <laughs> you laugh, Mike. Um, where our value is, is taking their budget because mm. let's face it, a buyer has a budget. They, they, they can't manufacture more money. It's taking their budget and helping them identify where they can buy the best product yeah. and the lifestyle they want to live. 
Now that is our, and that is the way we buy under budget because we're looking in a in a area they can afford. Some of them have been spinning wheels in for twelve months, looking at property they can't afford. Yeah, they would they go into negotiations that they were never going to buy ever. So it's yeah, understanding where the opportunity lie and looking in the right place. Um, to make sure that their budget matches, the, you know, the type of property they can buy. Because yeah. quite often they they don't know and they think, oh, my budget, let's pick a number. My budget's a million dollars. So they start looking at a million dollars. They don't understand that there's a whole lot of other criteria yeah. they need to um, consider before looking at a million dollars. Yeah. The and then it's finding opportunity, which is mm. what we do best, you know, having those conversations and, mm-hmm. and digging up that opportunity. Yeah. Well, if you guys are... Speaker one and two for the affirmative team of the value of a buyer's agent. I'm, I'm happy to anchor it in number three. I've always seen the value in buyer's agents and I can remember going to an auction, witnessing a buyer's agent at work and I felt a genuine sadness and empathy for the people that weren't using one because the playing field was so unlevel and I think you guys have demonstrated that really well today. Thank you very much for the time. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, it was great. Mike. I enjoyed it. Cheers. Bye.